Okay, line up. Line up! Move it! Alice and Mary, eyes front. Katie, you too, Chris. And spit out that gum. Where'll I put it, Miss Collins? You can choke on it for all I care. Just get it out of your mouth. club members i'm kate and my spirit animal is a mongoose (laughs) hi guys i am emma and it is snowing in alabama so i am not at work and instead in my jammies all day and my soul is a mongoose and welcome back (laughs) to the nightlight horror movie club here we uh, talk about horror movies every other week Um, Movies that you guys pick, movies that we pick, and we discuss story, cool movie facts, and relevance in pop culture. Yeah, and this week we have a listener pick. So uh, for those of you who are a little rusty from our last episode, we decided to do a Stephen King selection. So our, our options were Carrie... Gerald's Game and Misery. Of those, there were a lot of votes actually for all of them, but the winner was ultimately Carrie. So that is what we're going to be covering. And that was on our Instagram, right? Yep, it sure was. Okay. So this week, like I said, we're covering the Stephen King classic Carrie. So for those of you who don't know, this is the story of a tormented, bullied young woman with telekinetic powers of disastrous potential. Oh, I have another fun fact. Oh, yeah? I don't know if you know this. So I took Dr. Easterling's film class in high school, and we watched Carrie then, and we studied it and had to take a test, and I passed that test, so I'm kind of a professional. (laughs) So shout out not only to club members who voted for this, also shout out to Dr. Easterling (laughs) at MSMS. Thanks, Dr. Easterling. Yeah. Also, I just want to do a special shout out to Mrs. Collins, who was the gym teacher in this movie. And in particular, her response to what do I do with my gum being, you can choke on it for all I care. (laughs) You can choke on it for all I care. I I was like, I love this woman. (laughs) Kids weren't flinging around lawsuits back in the 70s. You could say whatever you felt a simpler time. Before we go any further, um, we, I just want to remind everybody that we do spoil all the content in this movie. So if you don't want this spoiled, uh, I encourage you to go watch it yourself and then come back um, and listen in. You were supposed to do that before you listened. That was the homework. That's part of the club. But we don't forgive tell them you they if have you homework. didn't. Leave. <laughs> but we're not going to spoil um, any of the Carrie remakes, uh, mostly because I haven't seen them. So... They're not really y'all, y'all are safe. Spoiling. Do they have bad reviews? Um. Well, they. That's a yes. <laughs> they're not as well reviewed as the original. Well, duh. Well, okay. We, well, we're not going to talk about it. It's fine. We'll just talk about 1976 classic Stephen King Carrie. But before we go into Carrie, I have one little club announcement. We are going to be increasing our bi-weekly content to weekly content. We're going to be um, spicing in those empty weeks with mini episodes or mini meetings uh, every other week on the weeks that we aren't covering a full movie. And uh, those mini meetings will be a space where we have a lot more topic flexibility. Yes, you guys have given us some great 
recommendations and I'm going to reopen polls on our social media so you can continue to recommend content that you want to hear. In one day we might cover, I'm sorry, one day we might cover some urban legend that's interesting to us. The other we might talk about practical or special effects from a, from specific movie artists. I would love to ramble about Rick Baker for an entire show. <laughs> Um, who knows? It'll be extra flexible and a creative space for us to have conversations as a club. And yeah, like Emma said, we're very open to your suggestions and what you want to hear. So please hit us up on our various social meds um, or our, <laughs> our email at which is nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com. Yes, please, please. We love to get your feedback. We love your tips and your original ideas for content that we can share with you on the podcast. Also, like it's your club too. So like, (laughs) let us know what you want. Um, But uh, basically our teaser for today, um, Emma's going to be talking about King's original novel, which I have not read and I am very excited to hear about. I'm really excited to share a lot of information about the making of this movie, especially the art, the art, especially the influence of art director Jack Fisk, and mm. uh, also how Sissy Spacek got this role, uh, which spoiler alert has a lot to do with her husband Jack Fisk. But um, oh. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff we're going to be talking about, so let's get started. So um, I already said this is the 1976 version, the OG Carrie. This was Stephen King's uh, first book ever that got published. And this was his first movie adaptation of any, any of his books. So kind of a very big deal. And side, side note, um, King actually likes the movie way better than he likes his own book. In some of the articles I read that covered his take on both the movie and the book. He, I think he likes them both, but for different reasons. I think that um, the movie he thought really deftly conveyed some of the things he was trying to convey in the book. And I think that he has a lot of respect for the director of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. He's very open about how much he likes uh, Brian De Palma. Um, speaking of whom, the director Brian De Palma He's most famous for, well, there's a lot of movies, none of which are anything similar to Carrie. The two that popped out to me were Mission Impossible and Scarface. Oh, wow. Yeah, no. I didn't, I I kind of assumed he would just be full horror all the time. No, he's almost, he's almost entirely like crime and thrillers. Oh, wow. And yeah, so, and he, but he really wanted to do, Carrie, um, he had a friend of a friend. So basically Stephen King had a friend and that friend told another friend and that friend told Brian De Palma, the director, like, Hey, you should check out this book. And so he, he read the book and he was like, Oh, we should make a movie about it. Like who owns it? No one owned it. (laughs) I think it was like pretty quick turnaround too, because if I recall, the book was published in 1974. And if the movie was, released in 1976. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's pretty fast. Yeah, that's that's an impressive turnaround for a new release. I know they also like paid Stephen King. I want to say it was a little north of 2000 for the rights to the book. Yeah, released in 1974. That's I don't know, that's just wild to me. I I kind of assumed that this would have been a later like they must have seen something with this and said, "We want to, you know, we want to get on this now before someone else grabs it." Yeah, well, it wasn't a popular book. It was not flying off the shelves. No one was really reading it. Yeah. So I, it, it was literally just a friend, a friend of Stephen King told a friend who told Brian De Palma. That's literally how this happened. So 
if that didn't happen, who knows if Stephen King would have been as popular as he is today. Literally no idea. It's interesting because in the whenever I cover source material, one of the things that I found was kind of like you're alluding to, the hard cop the hardback of the book initially only sold thirteen thousand copies, but then a year later the paperback sold over a million. You mean after the movie came out? Um, I don't even think it was after the movie came out. I think it was just after word went around. So it makes sense timeline-wise that if the book came out in 1974 and uh, the director probably found it in that 13,000 copies window of time, which is a very early piece, and then in that following year, maybe 1975, it really picked up and had the 1 million copies, which primed it for the movie, which came out in 76. And the movie did... Well, so again, I, I only look up budget and box office and everything that I learned in Dr. Easterling's film class. <laughs> so I, I only know certain things. I didn't look at uh, critical reception because I know that's Emma's, Emma's thing, but like, I mean, it's Carrie. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not really expecting a big twist here, but um, my fa- one of my favorite things to talk about is return on investment. I don't know why, I just do. Uh, the budget for this movie was $1.8 million, and on the at the box office with that $1.8, they made a really cool $33.8 million. Nice. And that's that's $70s dollars, so that's what, like $3, three trillion dollars yeah, today? Yeah, I was going to say, it's about $3.7 <laughs> billion now. So Yeah, I've, I've taken economics. I know how this works. <laughs> we also, can I just shout out a couple of cast members? Absolutely, and it, they better include John John Travolta. So, funnily enough, so obviously you recognize John Travolta. You're like, hey, that's John Travolta. But there were two <laughs> characters that I was like, this person's familiar. The first one was Helen, who was one of the like mean girls in the group. She has kind of a wider face, and it just it, it was very distinct. So I oh Helen wide wide face. <laughs> yeah. So I said, is that? Have I seen her? Is her name Grace in another movie? And the movie I'm referring to is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She's the one. Oh my God! Yes, yes. He's a righteous she's the assistant. Dude. He's a righteous dude. He's the. She's the principal's assistant. I just saw her in like the back of a group of girls, and I was like, "Wait, I know you." She looks exactly the same. She really does. <laughs> I think she's wearing the same square glasses yes Unlike same haircut betty buckley who plays miss collins who i looked up because i thought she was a good actress and then i realized that she also plays dr karen fletcher in split emma we literally talked about this like two weeks that she ago was in Carrie? You are, yes my you mind already forgot this oh my god you don't pay attention to a word i say <laughs> yes we said we talked about betty buckley who is um, Dr. Fletcher in Split, major character in Split, which we just covered. And I, I mentioned that she was Ms. Collins. You pretended to know what that was. So, <laughs> well, well, my done. mind is a little bit of a moth eaten wicker basket. So, I, I do That's my best. Fair. Well, I, remember we talked about she was the first, uh, the original Broadway Grizabella in Cats. I do remember this. It's all she's an accomplished back now. lady. I just forgot about she's it. An, <laughs> she's an accomplished lady. You're like, what a revelation that I have discovered and no one else told me. Imagine the wonder of my mind. I'm like one of those kids who doesn't. What is the, <laughs> the thing where you, if it's out of your sight, you forget about it? Like you, you can't hold on to the concept that it exists. So I'm like the kid who is constantly rediscovering things. So it's really good for you. <laughs> It's really what a wonderful, wonderful time life you live. To be live. Me. Yes. <laughs> Exciting days every day. All right, enough about me. And then John Travolta obviously is in this movie. It just looks like freaking John Travolta and he's he's Billy Nolan. 
Uh, Carrie was his first movie ever, but he had been on a sitcom called Welcome Back, Cotter. And I think that's how you say it. I've actually I don't know. I didn't want. You have? Yeah. I know. It's like one of those things old people reference. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, that was him. And that's what started to make him famous. But this was his first big breakout movie. We also have Piper Laurie, who I wanted to give a shout out. So she is Margaret White. She's Carrie's mom. She was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in Carrie as Carrie's mom. Yes. And that was one of uh, three Oscar nominations she had in her career. And you should just look up a photo of her because she was like a straight stunner. She was gorgeous. She was very effectively horrifying. So I'm I'm glad that she got the, the commendation she deserved for that. Well, she went f- like elbow deep. She went all the way, and because at first, um, Piper Laurie, her actress, um, she thought that this was a satire. Like she, whenever she signed on to the movie, she thought it was a satire, and I can I can see that. Like if you if you haven't read the book, no one knows who Stephen King is. Um, Pig's blood, hilarious. <laughs> well, like I can see it because it, at times it's over the top, like intentionally so. So especially the mom's lines, she's like, this is clearly satire. And then she got into filming and they were like, no, they're going to laugh at you if you say things like that. If you say it with that tone. And she's like, wait, they weren't, we don't want that. <laughs> and they're like, no. And she was like, oh, OK, OK, cool. And she got re- like full all the way into this evil witchy role and just killed it. Yeah. That kind of makes sense to me. I understand her being a little taken back initially by the material. When I first started watching this movie, um, I like text Kate and I was like, why are there so many, like, what is this slow motion naked women shower scene? Which makes sense in the context once you watch the whole movie with all the feminist undertones and all that. But in the moment, I was like, I don't know what I'm signing up for and I'm very uncomfortable. I think that was the point though, right? So I watched um, a couple of interviews with the art director, um, Jack Fisk, and he talked specifically about those shots and so did De Palma, the director. And so that shot was very intentional because at that time, and honestly now in most movies, the second scene isn't a ton of full frontal nudity in slow motion. That's usually something that you're going to see like deeper into the movie and they just go right out the gate with it. And it's intentional and it's super unsettling. And it's like, it kind of gives you a feeling, oh, this director doesn't care. Like this, like this director is going to do what this director wants to do. Like nothing is safe. Um, You don't know what to expect. And that's very, very true of the rest of the movie. So that, that was intentional and um, it played out really well in my opinion. The movie made me like, from the very beginning, I was deeply uncomfortable. I think I text Kate and was just like, I hate all of these people who are bullying her. It just viscerally, I guess, gets to that very, yeah, really gets to your core and just makes you squeamish and very deeply uncomfortable, which I give a lot of props to. That's one of the things that makes this movie so good is their ability to do that. But also at the same time, they intentionally place comedic elements to give the audience a break from the tension. And there was a quote that I um, got directly from the director where he says, basically, if you don't, if you make it tense and horrifying and uneasy the whole time and you don't give the audience an emotional break, they're going to laugh somewhere and they're going to just start laughing at your movie because they have to. So um, I don't know. Watching the bullies get their asses handed to them by Miss Collins was 
very enjoyable and cathartic. The guys trying on their tuxedos at the shop and like, come on, he looks beautiful. And oh, would you go out with me? They mm-hmm. add they add elements that keep keep you able to watch it physically because <laughs> it is painful. Oh, Kate, you haven't done a film genre. I have not done a film genre. Okay, so I have my cop-out genre. So for those of you who are new, every horror movie, I pick a genre for the film. Uh, Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, that's how it goes. So the cop-out genre is Stephen King, which I hate. But, like, we can group so many things into it. And that's just... That's just because the other genre I have doesn't fit in with any horror movies that we've done yet. Like it kind of fits in, but I haven't added I haven't added any that fit into that genre. So I try to at least make have like make them collect groupable. some of our movies. Yeah, like corn horror, for example. Yeah, corn horror There's was a Stephen at- King though, also because Children of the Corn was. Um, yeah, but Children of the Corn was not the first corn horror that we did. No. That was Troll Two. <laughs> How could we forget? And then A Quiet Place was also corn horror. So. Was it really? Yeah, it was corn horror. Because they're in a cornfield or something? There's like whole silos of corn. Oh. I, I, I Don't remember. tell me how to do my job. <laughs> but for the real genre for this um, movie, I called it High School is Hell. Oh, I like because, that. Because, yes, and um, a, a, obviously a big part of being an adolescent is high school. Um and high school is literally your world for four years. It's everything. And high school can be absolutely hellish and horrible. And so there are a couple things that we can tie this with, this genre with. Um, the biggest one being Buffy, where that was literally their tagline. Mm-hmm. Yes, I stole it from Buffy. Um, where high school is hell because there's a literal hell mouth under the high school. The other one is um, Scream which we did cover, um, which is very much high school centric. And there's a lot of high school serial killers and high school bullies. Um, And then there's like 18 billion different high school horror movies out there. So I don't need to go into all of them. But high school as hell is a genre I picked. Also because of the big finale where basically she like destroys the entire high school. Um, And and initially they wanted the entire town to be destroyed. Like, because she can do that. Like Carrie's got powers. But she doesn't, and that doesn't, and they they didn't do that for financial reasons because they didn't want to build a bunch of like half scaled buildings and burn them all to the ground. Well, and they do that once. Of note, they do that is in the book. So in the source material, the entire town in Maine, this oh, entire city okay. or town in Maine, basically implodes, like burns to the ground. Of course, it's in Maine. Yes, of course, it's in Maine. But to your point of the genre, I think that high school as hell is a perfectly good genre, and I think that we'll be able to use it. And I, I think you you have to use it for ones where the plot is, like the heart of it is about like the vulnerability of high school. Because like I wouldn't put like prom night in this because prom night's just a slasher. Like yeah, high school's hell in the sense no. that everyone's being slashed at prom night, but like. <laughs> But I think that like Buffy or some of these ones where you're kind of looking at like the soft underbelly of being in high school, I think are the most apt ones for this genre. Well, thank you. I'm very glad that you approve. <laughs> and the other the other thing, I didn't know that about the source material. I didn't know that the entire city got set ablaze, which makes sense why the director was like, we thought about doing that, but no. But um, they were like, okay, but we can light a whole gym on fire. We can't. We can set that high school on fire. And in his head, canonically to him, he's like, well, that's her entire world, right? Whenever you're a high schooler, that high school is 
you're, it's where it's everything. It's where everything is, where the, your entire cast of characters is. So I'm glad that they at least got to set them all on fire. Do you want me to talk to you a little bit about the source material since we're already kind of diving into it? I, w- I would love to hear more about the source material. Yes. So you've, as you've mentioned, this was Stephen King's first novel that was published. He is, it was actually his seventh novel overall. The first six didn't end up getting published. So this was the first one published in 1974. At the time, he was not famous. He was living in a trailer using a portable typewriter that he loaned from his wife, and he was working as an English teacher. So really just kind of scraping by to make end meets. So much so that whenever this whenever this um, book was chosen for publication, he had recently removed the phone from his house so he didn't have to pay the phone company. So oh wow, yeah, the Doubleday editor, who's the this is that's the um, publishing company, actually weren't initially were were unable to get in touch with King, so they had to send him a telegram saying. <laughs> I swear, had to send a telegram saying, carry officially a double day book, $2,500 advance against royalties. Congrats, kid. The future lies ahead, Bill. So I I, I read it was a singing telegram, so I'd rather you um, perform it <laughs> true this is not, to history. <laughs> this is not a scene from Clue as much as I wish it was. The only telegrams I care about are singing telegrams. But that is really cool. Good for him. Good for him. A little bit more about just how he came up with this. So he was influenced by two young women who were in his high school who were bullied. And those were kind of just a little negative influence. He ended up initially writing, I believe it was a three-page manuscript for – for to publish in a magazine and then he decided he kind of hated it. It was basically just the the initial scene where the, this woman's having her period or this girl's having her period getting made fun of having things thrown at her and I think in the in this uh, the original iteration he, somehow her hormones make her like super powered and something wild happens and then he goes that's stupid and he threw it away. Wait, like mid book he wrote three pages. It was just three pages that was for for publishing in a magazine was what he was drafting for. And he wrote that, then said, this is dumb, and tossed it in the trash. Hmm. And then his wife, Tabitha, actually fished it out of the trash and said, hey, I think there's some good um, – there's a, a good seed here, and I think this has a lot of potential. And he was also influenced by the fact that when he was – writing these little stories in various magazines, one of the crit- critiques he got was that he was, wasn't was able to write from a woman's perspective. So mm-hmm. whenever he, whenever his wife fished this out of the garbage, she basically was like, hey, I can help you with the female perspective. Let's like give this more of a shot, which I thought was Oh, cool. that explains a lot. Okay. Because I, while you were saying that, I was agreeing with you in my head. He can sometimes he's super bad at writing female perspectives. Yes, I hesitate to say usually, but and I'm a big Stephen King fan. But a lot of times, um, he likes to uh, describe their bodies a lot more than um, most female writers would enjoy <laughs> describing, or female readers would enjoy reading. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, his wife had a little um, had a hand in this creativity creative 
Oh my gosh, I can't say it. Had a hand in this creative. Oh my God. <laughs> creatively. Had a hand in. Okay. Had a hand in this creatively. Perfect. Also, and this is completely unrelated. I, while you were talking, I looked this up and Stephen and Tabitha are still going strong. They're still married. I was wondering that. I was so hopeful that, you know, once he got famous, it didn't pull them apart. So that's really, really sweet. I don't know why I care so much about celebrities' marriages lasting, but I do. So I'm really, <laughs> I'm really glad they're still going That's strong. Awesome. They also have those corgis, um, who you should definitely follow on Instagram. <laughs> okay, I'll look Stephen into King's it. corgis, just having a, a great old time with his corgis. Uh, and another thing, you would think he would be better, or especially now that he is more, <laughs> to put it lightly, more involved in Hollywood and uh, more successful than he was in 1971. You think he would be cringing a little bit that all he got was 2,500 bucks for what was going to go on to be a hugely successful movie, extremely influential in pop culture, but he's not. He's not bitter about it at all. He's he's very grateful that he had that opportunity. Like it, That's what lifted him Absolutely. up as a, as a writer and put him on like, I mean, after the this, same level as other writers who were getting published. Yeah. So after he had that $2,500 advance and his first, like, you're going to get it, kid. He bought a Ford Pinto with the money from the advance. And then about a month later, it was the rights were bought for the paperback uh, for $400,000, um, which was split between, I think, Doubleday, like the editor and King. And so he mm-hmm. then he went on, and actually that was when he resigned from his teeping, teaching job after receiving the publishing pay, payments, which I think is like, he's on his way. Well, I just looked up the Ford Pinto because I hadn't heard of that car. And the very first thing that comes up is that the Pinto became infamous in the 1970s for bursting into flames. Oh, and didn't Stephen King also get in a heinous car accident later on that was a mr mercedes incident and had nothing to do with his pinto i'm just saying a little bit of foreshadowing oh my god so just a a little bit more about kind of how the book came together so pulled out of the garbage she says hey i can or his wife says hey let me help you with the lady lady bits um (laughs) and so it ended up kind of being brought together by a series of different strands so he worked one year as a janitor at a high school and realized that the girls had shower curtains. And I think that kind of got him thinking like Hitchcockian and then had him thinking about um, like kind of what you can do with that creatively as a setting. Then there was an article in Life magazine that he read that suggested that some poltergeist activity might actually be related to telekinetic phenomena, which I'm like, cool. I want to read that article. Yeah, sound like science to me. And then as I mentioned, there were two girls at his own school who who influenced the character character of Carrie Wright. So all of that kind of came together with the help of his wife, Tabitha, who he dedicated the book to, um, to create this novel. I, Her name is Carrie White. <laughs> what did I say? Right. Well, you know. I sound like the in the movie. There's the principal who keeps missaying her name. So I hate that I sound like. Oh, them. that's sad, Emma. That's, I know that, the principal's that, the bad guy. I am the problem. That's bad. I know. You. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's actually been banned in many states. This book has, like, currently, like it's still banned. I think so. It was. That's pretty stupid because this is not a very. 
There's there's a lot worse books out there, you guys. No, and it's also so it's it I don't I can't speak definitively that's currently banned, but at some point at least, maybe still, but definitely at some point it has been banned in Nevada, Vermont, Iowa, New York, Pennsylvania, and North Dakota because of the violence, the cursing, the under underage sex, and the negative view of religion. The negative view Oh, come on. Yeah. So let's just. I didn't know that much was banned in Nevada. So the fact that Carrie's banned in Nevada is very interesting to me. I thought it was interesting, the choice of states. You know, I kind of would have assumed like good old Bible Belt. Um, Yeah. So that was interesting. Uh, And also, just one last, two last notes, I guess, on the book is that one, the book was very interesting in that it uses, rather than just a traditional narrative format, it incorporates newspaper clippings, magazine articles letters and expert excerpts from other books to tell how Carrie destroyed the fictional town. So I thought that's a very interesting um, narrative style. And then lastly, there was a very unsuccessful 1988 off-Broadway musical of Carrie. Oh, that's right. The musical, which I did not get to watch before I got, before I got ready for this podcast because it was in the 80s and it's going to be impossible to find a copy of it but I am dying to watch the Carrie musical if anyone has any sort of remnants of it if you were in the Carrie musical please hit us up I'm dying for a copy of that yes definitely if you were in it or if you really have a copy because there are actually there was never a cast recording officially done (gasps) so it was so like unsuccessful and so limited and there even was like a book a famous or a book that kind of talked about famous Broadway flops and mentions Carrie. So um, all of the... They didn't get it. They didn't get it. But all of the um, all of the audio or, or movies are all bootleg. That's okay. I can work with that. You mentioned that the book hat would incorporate different styles of um, delivery for with like newspapers and magazines and stuff like that. That's super um, on brand for Stephen King. That's what he does that in a, I, most of the books I've read by him. He does that. That's very interesting. I haven't read which, any which of I like. books. I really would like to read Misery. I think that's probably the one that's at the top of my list. I th- I would like to cover Misery on, on this podcast, but we'll leave it up to the club. Um, I do want to keep moving. I want to talk about uh, more about the making of Carrie. So um, I watched a little documentary about it because there's a little documentary about the making of Carrie. It made my job very easy. Um, and basically... A lot of what makes Carrie Carrie is the artistic design. Like the director was super, super important. The screenplay was super, super important. But I just got to give some heavy props to Jack Fisk, who is the artistic director, because everything is extremely carefully designed. Like the shots are extremely artistically and carefully designed. Um, and in my opinion, it's a huge part of what makes Carrie Carrie. Uh, the house, I, I love the house. It's uh, It was very specifically constructed that he like drove around LA looking for um, a house that had um, a, a special sort of exterior, simple, but special but special and a little bit gothic. And then he constructed an interior based on that exterior. And he specifically wanted it extremely gothic and rigid and officious. And, you know, they had candles and crosses everywhere, but they did more than that. They went beyond that. So Jack Fisk would also drive around to these um, Mexican religious shops in L.A. to find um, unusual Catholic artifacts, basically. And one of those is super prominent in the movie. It's that really large rug of The Last Supper 
Do you know what I'm talking about? I actually, I thought you were going to say the, like, the uh, Jesus being sacrificed. Yes. So that's, um, that that's not Jesus. That's a statue of St. Um, Sebastian. Oh. Because it's pierced with arrows, but yeah, that it that is also like a little curio he picked up. I mean, from those eyes a sh- a are distinct. They're these like yeah, big, like the eyes are lit up, which is just horrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> who would who would want that not as a horror movie prop? Who would be like, I'm just gonna put that right here and go to sleep? I know it's like, and I feel safe. It's like the um, the taxidermy from Ready or Not a couple weeks ago. It is. You know? it is. People are odd. No, but the. The one I was talking about was the Last Supper rug. It's on the wall, and it serves as a really major centerpiece between Sissy and her mother when they're at the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, most notably, whenever she asks her mom if she can go to prom, and because like that, the, the lines are great. The screenplay is fantastic. The direction's good, but it's the art direction that really sets, especially that scene, apart. So we have this big rug tapestry of the Last Supper that's up on the wall. Um, and there's a long table with Carrie at one end and her mother at the other, and Carrie's asking if she can go to prom. It's not going well, and she's not getting the response that she wanted. But um, we have just the candlelight, and then the mother throws water at Carrie, and then the candles go out, and we d- it's just darkness, and then we just get hit with different flashes of lightning, and that's the only lighting for the scene. It's fantastic. It's amazing. A-plus to Fisk. I think that he makes this movie the whole movie. I mean, yeah, think about... That was a, a very striking scene, pun intended, because of the lightning. Um, and then I also thought, I mean, when you think about Carrie, you think about the imagery of Sissy Spacek covered in blood, and then her eyes just wide open, and it's just that like that thick red blood all over her and her piercing blue eyes. And I don't know if you give credit to the art direction or to the director for that or both, but it's so... Makeup artist... It, or the makeup artist, whoever, is so captivating in what you think of whenever you think of Carrie. Yes. Another thing that sets the movie apart stylistically is um, the the use of focus. So you'll notice in a lot of scenes in this movie specifically, um, you'll have two different characters in the frame, one in the near frame, one in the far frame, and they're both in focus. And that's very atypical. So typically in most movies, there are two ways to approach focusing a frame. You can use a deep depth of field where everything in the frame is in focus, or you can use a shallow depth of field where only the foreground, the middle ground, or the background is in focus while everything else is not. So in carry, they use what's called a split diopter lens and that's how you get these shots of, and there's a bunch of examples in the movie, um, but you'll have these shots of someone very close in the foreground, and then you'll have someone else often carry in the background, and they're both in focus, and everything in between is out of focus, oh. so it really, really highlights them, and it highlights their relationship, um, and they do that by taking a piece of, like, a half of a convex glass, and they just stick it onto the lens of the camera, and so the lens is nearsighted on that half, but the other half is farsighted. Woof. So I thought I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, that is very interesting. One other um, little fun fact is uh, you may notice that in the interior shots of the climax, uh, all these rocks and debris are coming through the ceiling, mm-hmm. and that's basically what kills everyone is all these rocks, or kills Carrie at least, all the rocks coming through. And um, that was supposed to be a bigger part of the movie. They even had 
like an introductory scene where Carrie is um, gets in an argument with her mother, and it's supposed to kind of um, illustrate the first time that Carrie realizes her powers, and she's much much younger, and she gets in an argument with her mother, and uh, rocks rain from the sky, smaller rocks, but rocks rain from the sky. And so what they what the intent was, and I know I don't know if this was in the book. I think it was. Correct me if I'm wrong. But they wanted to have whenever ever, the big climax is happening of like boulders basically coming from the sky and just tearing down the house, demolishing the house. And they did the interior shots. So you see the house falling apart with the interior shots. But when they went to do the exterior shots, they have the, they have this house, right? So they have a half scale house set that they use for the exterior shots that is set on an elevator over a pit so that they can sink it. And the goal was that they would shoot all these rocks but the rocks didn't fire. They, they it, it malfunctioned, and they were running out of nighttime. And so, the director made a bold choice, and he said, "Oh, just light it on fire." Oh, <laughs> so they lit it on fire, and it works. It just works really well because of all the candles that are inside of the house, mm-hmm. and it kind of it makes sense and it fits, and you don't really think about it too hard. And then it sinks into the pit. But that wasn't the um, original intention. But I think it worked very effectively. So that was just something I thought was super. That is very interesting. I feel like that must have been, I would think that would have had to, I mean, maybe I'm wrong and correct us if we're wrong, but I feel like that must have been in the book because in the book, you know, you have this more global, the entire town is being destroyed versus in the gym where things are more water and electrocution based and decorations coming in and impaling people. And then all of this sort of destruction that's kind of coming from construction and rocks and things like that is when she's in her house. So that also kind of makes sense. I feel like because of the shift in um, where the chaos occurs and that it's a little bit more focused on the gym and the house and in the movie iteration, I think it it's fitting that the house ends up kind of being set on fire rather than um, kind of rocks raining down. You could still do it, and I think it would have been very unique in its own way. But I do think this makes sense for the more self-contained uh, approach to destruction in the movie version. Yeah, oh, yeah, well said. All right, um, just a couple of fun facts before we hit up the movie. Uh, Emma mentioned a reference to Hitchcock earlier. Another one being uh, that the high school is called Bates High School, which is a very obvious nod to Psycho and to Alfred Hitchcock. Um, uh, another random fact I thought was funny because Stephen King was literally a nobody at this point. They misspelled his name in the movie trailer with a V. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and this one, uh, this one's also random, but Jack Fisk, his assistant, um, who was a very talented and very hardworking art assistant, is now a big actor, Bill Paxton. So I thought oh. that was kind of cool. Yeah, he was he was in um in on the art side of filmmaking, which is neat. And the other thing, one more thing that I just thought was really interesting is um Sissy Spacek isolated herself to keep in character. So I think it was like the first or the second day of shooting, she went up to the cast and she was like, Hey, I love you guys and I'm really excited to do this movie. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, I'm going to isolate myself and I'm not gonna be interacting with you. Please don't take it personally. And afterwards we can party and we'll all have fun. And they really respected her for that. And it also helped them not feel so bad leaning into the bullying because they knew it would help SpaceX's character. Wow, so some good old fashioned method acting which is really mm-hmm. consistent with her being a Oscar-winning, Grammy-nominated 
a Golden Globe winning uh, performer. She's Grammy nominated? Yeah, she received a Grammy nomination. I can't remember why. It might have been The Coal Miner's Child or something. I can't quite remember what the movie was, but there was a song in it because she's a great singer. And she was actually nominated for a Grammy for that, for the song and one of the things where she was nominated or maybe even won an Oscar. So look that up if you're more interested in it. For critical reception, just before we hop into the plot, um, I'm not going to quiz you because I think you already kind of know the answer just from how critically everyone liked it. Everyone liked it. So it got 93% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a little bit less from the audience. So I think it was, I think critics like it. and, And from my perspective, I think critics like it more than the audience because it's so artistic. So I think that might might have maybe have lost some of the audience. That would be my guess at least. Love it or hate it, this movie has is still relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. Like 50 years the after general, the movie happened. General takeaways from the reviews that I looked at were basically that people tend to say that it's one of the best film adaptations of a Stephen King novel, which is given the the amount of adaptations, I think it's a remarkable he has over a hundred yeah he has over a hundred oh goodness gracious i didn't realize it was that many um yeah he's doing just fine so the one quote that i want to uh share with y'all was from roger ebert of the famous siskel and ebert fame and his quote this quote is carrie is an absolute spellbinding horror movie with a shock at the end that's the best thing along those lines since the shark leaped aboard in jaws It's also, and this is what makes it so good, an observant human portrait. This girl, Carrie, isn't another stereotyped product of the horror production line. She's shy, pretty, and a complicated high school senior who a lot of kids, who's like a lot of kids we once knew. I just thought that that was really, really, a really poignant way of summarizing the horror and tender aspects of this movie. I agree. One more side note, just because I think it's funny. Sissy Spacek would go to filmings of this movie just for the last five minutes to watch audiences get, like, freaked out and jump out of their seats. <laughs> and I did. It scared me. So, again, watched this in high school film class, thought it was over, and then she sticks her hand out of those rocks, and I jumped out of my freaking seat. And so it was a very different – watching her in this role, I knew she played Carrie – uh, but I hadn't seen this actually before until this morning. Um, so I had previously just known her through a book on tape of To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a big fan. Big so fan. So this was like a very uh, a very different direction for me. For You Sissy haven't seen Spacek. anything with Sissy Spacek in it? I don't think I have because it's a lot of stuff from the 70s and 80s that I just haven't happened to I mean, seen. also like Hot Rod. She's in Hot Rod. Yeah, she's the mom in Hot Rod. All right. <laughs> she's in everything. All right. Let's let's start talking about Carrie. We'll talk about Hot Rod later. So, <laughs> all right. We got Carrie White. Carrie White is a reserved 16-year-old who lives with an absolute psycho religious fanatic of a mother, Margaret. She is very much a pariah at school. She's extremely bullied. Um, the, we have that opening scene, which Emma already talked about, where um, we're in the girls' locker room and they're showering after volleyball practice. And literally, the the first scene is the volleyball practice where every, everyone on the opposing team is like, hey, throw it throw it to Carrie. Carrie, Carrie won't hit it. Carrie will miss. And of course she misses. And then everyone's like, everyone on her team is like, fuck you, Carrie, for missing. Yeah. And then 
that culminates in the shower sequence where she starts having her period. She panics because she had no sex education and she thinks she's dying. And then all the classmates start laughing at her and throwing tampons at her and shouting, plug it up, plug it up. Yeah, it and then Miss horrible. I was already yeah, ready horrible. for her to kill everybody, to be honest. I was like, okay, that's <laughs> enough for me. Burn the place down. I would have been fine if she did it like in the locker room, like in the gym. There's a lot of innocence there, but there's there are no innocent people in that locker room. They're yeah. all they're all human garbage. But Miss Collins shows up. She's the the good guy of this movie. She intervenes, and uh, she she brings uh, Carrie to the principal to say every, say everything that happened. Um, the principal is what. And just as a reminder, Miss Collins is the coach. She's like the um, PE teacher. Sure, Coach Collins, Miss Collins. And um, she she goes to the principal. The principal does Jack Diddley squat because he doesn't care and he's a garbage principal. And um, I think Carrie... There's this great moment where she's going up to him, kind of, she's outraged. She's talking to him about like, hey, like, I think she needs some time off. Like, let's get her home. And he he looks down and she's wearing white shorts and there's like a little bit of blood from where she was uh, comforting Carrie and he's like visibly disgusted and it <laughs> just kind of sets you up for okay we're not gonna get it from this guy we're gonna be getting the support from Miss Collins yeah you're not gonna get any help from any any man in this movie wait that's not true because we have Tommy Ross who was Sue's like hot popular boyfriend. Mm-hmm who took Carrie to prom. So we have one we have one good male character. Yeah. And one good female character. Well, we have Sue. Sue kind of Sue counts. Yeah, Sue's like um, she's definitely the the conscience of the popular group. That's true. Um so she goes home, we get to meet mom who is insane. Carrie's trying to explain to her, "Why didn't you tell me about this stuff?" like this is bad. Like I had a really bad experience at school and her mom is just horrified at Carrie and is like, Oh, well you're dirty. You are, this was caused by sin and then takes Carrie into her prayer closet. Oh my God. Which is, a sh- it's kind of like the chokey from Matilda. <laughs> That's so accurate, but it's more religious. And we have that horrifying, um, St. Sebastian statue yeah. More psychological rather than physical torment that you see in the chokey, but very similar. A, li- a little bit of both. Very um, sim- a little similar bit of both. claustrophobic terror. Mm-hmm. So mom's not a good mom. In back at school, we have um, Coach Collins who is reaming these bullies that vol- those girls at the volleyball practice, and um, she she's in charge of their week long after school detention. And uh, basically, she says anyone who doesn't show up is not going to go to the prom. But Chris, who is one of the girls and by far the worst, the wealthiest, the most popular, the most blonde, she walks out. She's like, well, you know, fuck you, Miss Collins. Like, you can't do anything. And she's like, okay, well, you're not going to prom. To be fair, Miss Collins does literally slap the shit out of her. (laughs) Oh, that's right. She does. She, like, straight up hits her. She does. And she's like, you can't do this. I'm like, well, I guess you could. Miss Collins is like, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah. Miss Collins, I I ride for Miss Collins, but I will say she has some unorthodox methods of – She's like verbally abusing and sometimes physically abusing these girls to try to get them. Well, they did it first. They did it first. Is that – that won't hold up in a court of law. No one's going to be calling a court of law here, okay? It's the 70s. (laughs) Touche. So now we have – 
Chris and her boyfriend, John Travolta, who <laughs> are plotting vengeance against Carrie because it's Carrie's fault that we bullied her and got detention and then defied Miss Collins and can't go to prom. Yeah. It's all Fuck Carrie's you, Carrie. fault. Yep. So they go, <laughs> I guess they did, don't realize that butcher shops readily carry pig's blood. And so they just break into a local farm and like bludgeon some pigs to get blood, which is very, messy, inefficient. It was very Stephen King. Of, that That was the point where I said, this is very, <laughs> this is definitely a Stephen King work because it was just like. That's a King move. Yeah, it was such a King move. Unnecessary, but we're going to roll with it. Like people and can so, be super ridiculously heinous. Because you can literally just buy pig's blood, yes. but they don't. They, they 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 work for it, and they put it all in a bucket of in a big blood bucket where it does not coagulate because it's you know corn syrup. And then they put it above. Famously, they place it above the main stage of the gymnasium where they're setting up for prom. And we also have Norma. Norma's not quite as bad as Chris, but she's pretty heinous, and she's the one who wears the baseball cap. She even to prom, which I was like, "Girl, you need to." It's, it's, <laughs> I kind of liked going it, on like with your hair. <laughs> it was a look. There was something going on with all of their hair, to be clear. <laughs> but Norma, Norma's got her hat on and like her full prom dress, which I like. And she's apparently like a big member of like I think she might be president of the student council. Yeah. Um. So she's involved because the plan is let's get back at Carrie by rigging the election so that Carrie wins, getting her on stage and then dumping the bucket of blood on top of her. I don't think there's a single person in America that does not know this story. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, we have Sue, who was, I think she did throw some tampons at Carrie, but she feels really bad about it now. So she's doing what she can, and she asks her, super handsome, popular boyfriend, Tommy, if she'll take Carrie to prom. And Tommy's a really good person and he does it. Like they're just, but they're just good souls. Yeah. They're so good they, souls. When they're introduced to us, they're kind of introduced as like, you know, just another like kind of asshole. But I liked this nuance in the story because even within like a, a clique or like a popular group, you're going to have people who are more um, unabashed in what they're doing. And you're going to have people who are following the status quo, but feel bad about it. And so I liked that you had popular people on all sides of the coin you had sort of like the academically gifted but still like complicit like academically gifted sharp has her head on her shoulders student council whatever who's complicit with like the overtly regina georgie um chris character and then you have tommy ross who's like a this is the the, the boy who wants to take her to prom or is agreeing to take her to prom who initially when you're introduced to him he's a a uh, football player, I didn't trust him. I thought he had plagiarized a poem. So the way you're introduced to him, he's um, there in class. And he, uh, the the teacher is like, wow, this is a really good poem for someone like you, basically, to. Oh, shit. That was Miss Collins, I think, too. It wasn't Miss Collins. It was um, the, like, there's like two main teachers. I can't remember the oh. name of this teacher. was. And they both like, speak their mind. Yeah, there's like a male teacher and a female in Miss Collins. Um, and in the back. Carrie kind of goes, I thought it was beautiful because she's oh. a tender little angel. And so I think he also has a soft spot for her because she was appreciative of his poem. So the combination of Sue and Tommy add a little bit of good to balance out all these shitheads. But didn't he plagiarize the poem? Maybe. I can't remember if he did. I but, can't remember where that ends. But regardless, he appreciated he, her support he's a good regardless. Person. He did. 
Um, and also I thought it was a prank because I've seen like what eight high school movies that all have the prank prom thing. And it's actually not. So Carrie obviously is like, no, I don't want to go to prom with you, hot, popular guy. Like, she's I'm not, not she's stupid. Not, yeah, she's not stupid. And I also, um, I, I thought, similar to you, I kept thinking I'd missed a scene because I went to make coffee at one point and I had to back up because I was like, wait, where's the, where's, when do I get the insight that this is all, you know. Where's the plot? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kept looking for it, but I didn't find it. And Miss Collins is the one who ultimately is like, hey, it's okay. Like, I really think you should go with Tommy. Like, we'll do your hair. Oh, so sweet. She's such a good, like, mother figure. We'll do your hair and we'll get you a nice dress and you'll have fun and you'll dance. And so um, Carrie gets, you know, reluctantly excited and wants to go. But let's not forget that she has, like, slightly uncontrollable telekinesis. So back (laughs) at home... Back at home, um, Carrie, we have that scene I mentioned where Carrie tells her mom, like, I really want to go to prom. And mom's like, no, go to your closet. Um, and Carrie's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to because I'm telekinetic and I can kind of do what I want. And so she puts on a really beautiful dress where you can see her dirty pillows, which for those of you who have not watched the movie is a horrifying euphemism for breasts. Yeah, that was the, the most troubling line, I think. The- I can see your dirty pillows. <laughs> I can't wait to use that on Kate sometimes. Please do not. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be getting ready for Christmas dinner or something. I can see your dirty pillows. <laughs> Please say that to me like whenever I'm about to be wed and I'm in my wedding gown. <laughs> <laughs> How do I look? <laughs> I will love you even more than I already do if you do that. I will me. reserve it for the perfect opportunity perfect. and when that opportunity s- strikes i will use it i promise that is a promise to you a sister's promise <laughs> i like how my wedding is developing over the course of these horror movies first of all no one's allowed to smile from the last episode and now i'm seeking compliments for my dirty pillows so also emma's not engaged she oh, just yeah, wants I'm not to have a g- really awkward wedding <laughs> i'm just looking forward to like what you can do to turn a wedding on its head i think yeah, well, a lot, a lot of things being the so answer. Kate is engaged, so maybe we, I should be applying. Please these. don't refer to my dirty pillows on my wedding day. <laughs> okay, actually, we yeah, you can. Actually, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> okay, we digress. So, um, all right, we got mom who's like, you can't go to prom. We got Carrie who's like, the hell I can't. And so, Margaret. Oh gosh. So, um, Margaret comes and approaches her. And um, calls her a witch, basically, and is like, you're a witch, you're like a child of Satan. And she is, because mom has snapped. Mom has completely snapped at this point. Whatever has not snapped already has now snapped. Yeah, at and the beginning of the movie, she you get just a very brief Super scene. reasonable. She's a super kind woman. Yeah, well, she's not, it's, she's I'm little, obviously joking. She's a psycho from oh. the beginning, Emma. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that at the beginning, I was like, I don't know if I can ride, I don't know if I can follow you on this one, Kate. She's a wonderful mother. What I was going to say no is just judgment. at the beginning, she is soliciting donations for whatever religious purpose. Um, it's for her cult, Emma. <laughs> I have seen her interact with one person and it's harassing her daughter. So I don't know what she's doing that money, but it's literally it's for it's for her cult. Like she like goes from like door to door and everyone's like, oh, shit, it's Margaret. She needs to shut the shades. It's just so, like this um, sad thing where everyone's kind of like, we know what goes on in that house. But what, what are we going to do But they do don't do anything. But no one does anything. I mean, Kate, that's. The really sad reality. How many people did you go to school with that you knew like their house None. was not a hope, I didn't happy know. place? Well, not like that. Like I didn't have a neighbor where I would hear screaming all the time. Okay, maybe not to that extent. I just mean that those 
I thought that was very relatable and a nice touch because we all are guilty of knowing people in our class growing up or things like that where we knew that they had a tough home life. But what are you going to do about it? Um, not throw tampons at them in the locker room. Yeah, I can, you can do that. <laughs> and was like, well, what can you do? <laughs> well, I well, wouldn't have done that. Loser. I just mean like I think it's a nice for like it kind of puts the lens back on us, which I liked. Anyway, so I you're right like though. She is completely at this point. The little remnant of at least trying to politely ask for money um, whilst <laughs> creeping people out, that's gone. I don't think she could that's ask gone. anyone for money at this point. Mm-mm. But guess who's going to prom? So uh, we have Carrie. She gets picked up by Tommy. It's actually super, super sweet. She looks Um, so pretty. She looks so pretty. And Sue is like politely stalking them (laughs) just to make sure that she's okay, to make sure Carrie's okay and that Tommy's okay. But uh, let's not forget we have Chris and Billy who are still under the stage waiting very patiently. And so they go to prom. We have a really cool shot. Um that took a, like a couple of days to shoot actually where they get the the full shot of the um, gymnasium of the prom and they do that they they do that because they're contrasting what's about to come which is a bunch of fast 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 shots and so they have this really cool continuous shot uh, and um, everyone's voting for prom queen Carrie gets to dance with Tommy uh, everyone knows what's coming but Carrie's dancing with Tommy and then so sweet she's dancing with Tommy and then like Miss Collins comes over and sits with her and talk, does this very <laughs> sweet story about how her, you know, having a tall basketball playing date and her wearing high heels and she couldn't walk because her heel, her feet hurt her. So they sat and talked the whole time, just really relating to Carrie in a very sweet, sweet. way. Yeah. It's a good teacher. Yeah. But and- we've still got the psychos underneath the the table. We have Hats Magoo, who is switching out the <laughs> ballots. She's chewing gum also, like the entire movie. She's chewing she's gum. She's a cow. Like, she's including, including at prom. So she's chewing gum, wearing her hat and her prom dress, um, like drop kicking all of the actual ballots underneath the tables and then using the fake ballots so that Carrie will win the title. She looks it like a announced. shortstop. Like, cut that out. Take off your <laughs> That's hat. That's her whole Spit personality. Stop kicking things. She's just a mean shortstop through yeah. and through. There is this cool. Um, this cool, I guess, directorial edit that I liked where when you have – or maybe it would, I think it would, I think the credit would go to the director. You correct me if I'm wrong. But basically it's whenever they're slow dancing and it's very sweet. It's slow. And then yep. it kind of picks up and it becomes a little disorienting because the, the speed of the spinning is just going a bit faster. So it's – at least for me as an audience member, it made me kind of toggle between like, oh, this is so sweet to like – rising tension I don't quite feel yes. comfortable I don't quite trust it yeah that that was intentional that was um it wasn't the director who made a comment on it uh, I can't remember exactly who it was but someone did make a comment that that was an intentional thing where you you have the classic dreamlike circle spin while they're dancing and then um and it's very dreamy and she's kind of carries like intoxicated by this happiness that she's never felt yes. And then it get you can see it getting it's like, oh, but don't forget <laughs> there's a bucket of blood. <laughs> so you're you you there's never really a full moment of peace where you can enjoy Carrie um not suffering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Carrie suffers the whole movie. So anyway, so Carrie goes on stage with Tommy. Um she's having this surreal moment where she's actually being accepted by her peers. Everyone's like clapping and everyone's really kind and nice. 
um, with one exception. So Chris and Billy then pull the rope. They're yanking on it really hard, and the pig blood then falls and um, douses uh, blood all over Carrie. It's this horrible, um, tense moment where you're everything's. I think everything's in slow motion actually, and as that they're fighting, that the world's worst couple is fighting underneath the stairs or behind the whatever, and the Sue realizes she like has her hand. She's like resting her hand, kind of uh, enjoying the scene. Like you, she seems sincerely happy for Kiri, which is a moment that I was convinced. Okay, wait, this was sincere. But then she realizes her hand is on some rope, and so you can see her in slow motion, her eyes tracing the path of the rope and seeing where it connects. And then you, she kind of tries to run on on screen or not on screen on um, stage. And Miss Collins sees her and is like, don't fuck this up for Carrie. So goes to goes and basically throws her out with the effect of that actually being. It secures the opportunity for Chris and Billy to finish their evil deed, I guess. And um, yeah, they succeed. And so, and so they get out. They sneak out of the school before the carnage starts. Uh, Sue has been spared because she got kicked out by Miss Collins. And now Carrie snaps. So Carrie, Carrie, the entire crowd is, oh, I forgot to mention, the bucket um, <laughs> with the pig's blood also then like whacks Tommy unconscious slash dead. Hor- and the crowd is Horrifying. And the crowd is just shocked and speechless and watching it. And Carrie kind of starts uh, hallucinating a bit um, that everyone's laughing at her because her mother told her everyone's going to laugh at you. And so she keeps hearing her mom say, everyone's going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to laugh at you. And you get this kaleidoscopic shot, this like phantasmagorical shot of Carrie looking out and everyone's laughing at her, Even Ms. including Miss Collins. Yeah. Yes, every everyone is just laughing at her. I liked that that people weren't actually laughing because I think sometimes in horror movies or like in, in simpler movies, They'll just be like, oh, yeah, and then she got made fun of, which I think is less interesting and less realistic. I think if something of that heinous happened, I don't think – I think everyone would be stunned. They wouldn't know what to do, and particularly if someone got knocked unconscious on the stage. So I thought that – I really, really liked that it wasn't – people weren't actually laughing at her. It was her breaking from just the the stress and the tension that has been building the entire storyline. And in, in her mind, everything her mother has said would happen is true, and – um she can't trust everyone and everyone is after her. And so that's whenever the telekinesis pops in. She um, locks all of the exits to the gymnasium and just goes on an absolute rampage. She sets the whole gym on fire. She's like swinging banisters and impaling people. There are no survivors, I don't think. So every, everyone just dies horribly, including Miss Collins. Sue, Sue lives because um, she got thrown out, but she gets to watch from the window as all of her friends and teachers die. Then Carrie walks home. Chris and Billy, absolute psychos, yeah. then attempt to run her over? Yep. Like, I'm sorry, this isn't like high school bully shit. Like, this is straight up like homicide. And they're trying to run her over with Billy's car, which is not the right time to be picking on Carrie. Uh, and Carrie literally just, like, flips the car and explodes it. Like, doesn't even look back. It was such a great scene as far as visually. It just a horrific explosion. And then when you think that they're done crashing, it explodes further. And you're just like, well, they got <laughs> theirs. Going. They got theirs. It's true. 
So Carrie goes home and she takes a bath basically and is just like in shock and cleaning herself. Oh, this is creepy. And so then we have mom who's just like hiding in all of these corners of the shot. And you can miss some of them if you're not paying attention. You didn't notice that? So like, like she's bathing and mom's just like, like standing like a pole, just like right behind Whoa. the door and you can see like half of her and you see and mom like moves around because it's kind of if I recall it's like a single camera shot sort of and you just you don't see the mom moving but you just see her in different spots just watching just watching everything happen yikes yikes and yikes, yikes. and then Margaret pops out and she's like I don't know when to let things go and I'm just gonna go on like clearly you've had a bad day but you know you're a sinner. Let me tell you about the time and, that your father raped me. Yeah, now's the time to tell you this. And um, also, come here. I want to give you a hug. Yep. And so Carrie does because, God, this poor sweet baby angel girl and her brain is melted. And then her mom stabs her with a hidden kitchen knife. Carrie runs, but her mom's just chasing after her with this kitchen knife. And then we get... We finally get to take mom down. Carrie levitates all of these like kitchen instruments, a bunch of knives, some like, I guess, barbecue tools or something, a bunch of sharp stuff, mm-hmm. and just shoots them right at her mom with her telekinesis. And her mom is crucified, essentially. Just She looks exactly like that, um, that icon of St. Sebastian with all the arrows pierced in as he's crucified. And then um, she takes her mom's body and she carries her back to the closet and she's losing complete control. So she takes her back to her chokey slash prayer shack. She's holding her mom and all this debris is falling through and she dies. Carrie dies. Mm-hmm. And then the the house uh, is set ablaze and it sinks into the ground. Yep. That's about it. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a hell of a climax. It was, yeah, it was very captivating. It was truly heartbreaking. You thought your heart had been broken fully and now it's just vengeance time. But watching her try to wash off the... Watching her traumatized, trying to wash the blood off of her, and then asking for her mom, like asking for her mom to comfort her. And then her mom seems like she's doing it, and you're seeing how much Carrie needs it. And so it's that much. How much more can she get betrayed today? It's just horrifying. (laughs) It's so, so sad than when she's like, let, you know, let's pray one last time or whatever she says. She says one last time, which, which Carrie doesn't catch, but there's, audience sure does so then right after that is when you see the knife and then you're like oh that's that's what she meant and then yeah all of that ensues and it's just carrie cannot get a break to put it succinctly yes (laughs) that was the alternate title (laughs) carrie carrie can't catch a break (laughs) i would i would love to retool this trailer to make it like a high school rom-com yeah let's do the opposite of what they do in those youtubes where they turn things into turn trailers into horror movies like mrs doubtfire as a horror movie let's do carrie as a like a after school special i definitely shared a trailer on our uh facebook that was someone re- someone did that but with midsummer that sounds great and the, a couple i had a club member uh, i was like someone please convince your your friend your sibling your mom that this is the real trailer and one person did <laughs> and got them to watch it. It takes about five minutes of the actual movie to be like, mm, I don't think that was right. But we have to go to the epilogue. So now we have um, Sue. Who, it's a while later. Sue is the only survivor because she, she got kicked out by Miss Collins, and she is having some severe PTSD. And we have this moment where she uh, is 
walking up to where Carrie's house was. She has some flowers and she kneels down and she lays down some flowers on like the charred remains of the home. And there's a for sale sign. And, and the for sale sign had someone, because Carrie can't catch a break. <laughs> Um, this for sale sign literally has red paint on it that says Carrie White burns in hell. But she goes and she lays the flowers down and then Carrie's hand reaches from the beyond, from the rubble and grabs Sue's forearm, um, which is the, the jump scare that um, Sissy Spacek would go to theaters just to watch people experience. Mm-hmm. And then Sue wakes up in her bed just screaming from this nightmare. Her mom's trying to comfort her. She's ruined forever mentally. The end. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty a pretty dark ending. Everybody loses. Yeah, no winners. Don't here. be an asshole in high school. Be nice. I think that this movie and this novel are just very ahead of their time with a, with commentaries on bullying. I I don't know that there was a whole lot of uh, pop culture that really had such a, a direct focus on on this prior to Carrie. I mean, could you think of any any big movies or big novels that really focused on it, like pre nineteen seventies? No, like literally all the all the high school movies from the 70s and the 80s. I'm looking at you, John Hughes. <laughs> all of those movies were like, would prominently feature a bully as a comic relief. Yeah. It was just like accepted. It was like, and that's high school. <laughs> Don't you forget about me. <laughs> I'm glad that we've moved a little bit past that. But now we have cyberbullying, which is a whole different animal. But you know what? God bless you, Carrie. I, th- I thought Sissy's Basic was amazing. This movie is just as good watching it now as it was the first time I watched it in Dr. Easterling's classroom in 12th grade. Hmm. A plus. This is good. Oh, we get to rank it now. Yeah, that's, that's true. So for those of y'all who don't know, we keep a scoreboard that sort of um, every week we will add our movie somewhere to the long, increasingly growing list of movies that we cover on this podcast. It's in all honesty, become a bit of a bastardization of our opinions. It is beautiful. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Is it is accurate. <laughs> we love it. It doesn't fully make sense, but uh, we love it nonetheless. So uh, let me pull up the scoreboard for so that we can kind of place it this week. But while I'm doing that, Kate, tell me a little bit about just, I think I have a hint of how you feel about this movie, <laughs> but kind of tell me where you, where you see it in the context of other things that we've, we've watched or that you and Chris have watched. Sure. It's a masterpiece. Um, it is. It has one of the strongest footholds in pop culture of any movie ever. Uh, the acting is outstanding. The directing is outstanding. The writing is outstanding. The character development is fascinating to watch, even all these years later. Uh, I don't know why they needed to do remakes, other than the fact people liked this one so much, they just wanted more of it. But I think that from beginning to end, this movie... D- tells everything that it needs to tell and it tells it well i well i think that i am getting a sense that it's going to be in the top from from what you're saying i and i agree with you i i have to confess that i'm having a little bit of i'm questioning us just a little bit for last week so i really liked ready or not but i'm nervous because we have it above like the shining we have it above like so many really good ones so now I liked Ready or Not better than The Shining. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it. I love The Shining. I love The Shining. The Shining has flaws, <laughs> but at the same time, this list was made before you were on the podcast. Like you haven't seen all of these movies. Um, it changes based on how I feel that day. So like, let's not take it too seriously. Like, mm. 
All right, fair enough. I and also I. But if it's at the bottom, I hate it. All that being <laughs> said, I think we can't be too critical of this list since it's and it's constantly evolving. And I actually I did really like Ready or Not. So um, to let uh, remind listeners, basically our top five right now are one the thing, Ready or Not, Jennifer's Body, American Psycho, and A Quiet Place. Would you place it above any is, of those? I hate that The Quiet Place is up there, and I've said that every time. Yeah. I know. We'll, we'll work on a way to get that out of the top five. I don't know what I was thinking. Beyond that is, just for some context, so you don't just feel immediately like, oh, well, it has to be above The Quiet Place. You would also be no, you would no, also no. be placing it above The Conjuring, Oculus, American Werewolf in London, The Babadook, and Midsommar. Yeah, it's below all of those to me. It's. I think it's above Midsummer. I think it's above Midsummer. It's below... I don't know. I would. I'd like it better than the Babadook, personally. Okay. So it's, I would put it. It's around there for me. It's definitely below American Werewolf. Yeah. Well, what if we put it below American Werewolf and above the Babadook? All right. What else is below that? Um. So American Werewolf, the Babadook, Midsummer, Hereditary, Scream. Oh, no. I really thought Scream was going to be higher, but I guess I wasn't a part of this. That's because, okay, that's because Chris and I got into a fight about Scream, and so that was a compromise slotting. Uh, Scream would be way higher. You said you liked it better be than nice. The Shining. Do you like it better than The Shining and Creep? I definitely like it better than Haunting of Blind yes. Manor, which is the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go up, up. It's it's above Shining. It's, um... We could put it... Do, would you put it above or below Scream? Below Scream. I'd be comfortable with that. I would put it... Let's do that. Let's put it above The Shining and below Scream. I literally talked about Scream for like the past three movies and none of those movies were Scream movies. So Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm down. <laughs> Little biased, but. All right. Well, this is our new number 13 on our growing list. That seems low, but we've covered a lot of movies. It's really impressive. We There are 49 on this list. This is a good movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. It's like a law. It's like Citizen Kane or something. You have to watch this yeah, movie. Yeah, this was my first time watching it, and I'm glad I did because it's one of those things that you see referenced in pop culture, but I think it's worth it's worth a watch of its own. Okay. So I guess I guess that's it for Carrie. Um, if you guys want to check out our current scoreboard right now, it's at nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com. We are working really hard to get a website. Um that's going to be a minute, but we're working really hard. But for now, you can find it there. Uh, if you um, want to join our club, want to join the Nightlight Horror Movie Club, it's super easy. Uh, you just listen to us, <laughs> and now you're in our club. <laughs> anyone who's anyone who wants to check out these podcasts can be a club member. It's even better if you can subscribe and follow us uh, week by week. Um, and because that's a little easier to help you guys stay involved. And then you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our email address, nightlighthorrormovieclub.gmail.com. Um, that's where we do a lot of, we have a lot of conversations about the movies we're covering, movies that are coming out, just uh, randomly talking about Boris Karloff. We do everything. And, and if you guys want to chat about anything, we probably want to chat about it too. So yeah, I endorse all of that. And then I also just want to add or encourage you to re- like, 
subscribe and review all of our, our content. Smash that subscribe button. Yeah, like all pointing to it below. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but uh, the purpose of that is one, it, it keeps you updated whenever new content comes out, which will is more, it's going to be even more exciting with this, uh, these uh, mini episodes coming out. We don't want you to miss those. And then also it just allows us to find other club members. So we're always wanting to expand the club and find other uh, horror movie lovers or the horror curious, such as myself, to, to horror curious. Yeah, I, I would consider That's myself funny. horror curious. Um, oh, yeah, like so it. please just like get involved with us. We want to hear from you. Before we conclude our meeting, we do need to introduce the film for next week. I have not talked to Kate about this. You rarely do. <laughs> Whenever we did the Stephen King poll that resulted in us doing Carrie this week, one thing that was really exciting to see was that there was actually also a lot of interest for Misery. So I think we should continue riding this Stephen King train and do Misery. I'm very, very down for that because I've never seen Misery. And um, I like Kathy Bates. Yeah, who doesn't love Kathy Bates? I want to see her at her weirdest. I think her weirdest is the squirrel lady from Rat Race. (laughs) But I'm prepared to take that back pending how this movie goes. Well, if I enjoyed her as the squirrel lady, I'm sure I'll I'll enjoy her exponentially more as (laughs) a foot-tropping avid reader. Have a reader. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, if if you're down with that, we'll do Misery um, in two weeks. We'll have our, our mini episode next week. And I'm also going to repost a, uh, a poll or a query on Instagram to get some more suggestions from y'all so we can see where we want to take uh, the podcast after we do Misery. A query. I like query. it. All right, I'm down. I'm excited to watch Misery. I know Nick's not going to watch it with me because it's going to make him grossed out, which makes it even more exciting. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess that's it for Carrie. That's a wrap on Carrie. And uh, we will see you guys next time for Misery. Yeah, bye, guys. Stay spoopy. Stay spoopy. (laughs) 